0: everyone welcome back to relax with animal facts i am steph wolf and today i'm going to be learning with you about our furry scaly or possibly even slimy friends and in today's case it is definitely going to be a uh, very furry friend it is the palace cat now Uh, The palace cats are so very interesting looking. um, I'm going to be giving you guys a description of how they look, but they are definitely worth a Google image search whenever you have the time. Maybe, um, Maybe another time. So, this is a very special listener episode dedicated to Kat, who wrote in on Instagram. These episodes wouldn't be possible for each and every one of you listening and writing into the show. That being said, if you want to hear about an, a certain animal on the podcast, make sure to write in um, on either the Instagram page, which is at Relax with Animal Facts, or you can alternatively send an email to relax with animal facts at gmail.com. I get back to each and every one of you um, and I very, very much enjoy um you know reading what you guys have to say and all these sorts of things. Now, for those of you that want to support the show another way, there is a Patreon at patreon.com slash relaxwithanimalfacts, or you can just go to my website and click on the Patreon there, um, and you can support the show for $1 or $2 a month. Each and every Patreon listener will be shouted out um, on the podcast or sorry, Patreon, I suppose, donator or supporter. Uh, so if you want to help support the show and keep the show running, uh, you, can, you can go on the Patreon. And thank you so much. So sit back, relax, of course, if you were doing something like driving, I wouldn't do these things, but um, for those of you that are at home, in a good place, maybe you're walking around, it doesn't matter, try to relax your muscles, try to take a deep breath, we're going into the palace cats' habitat, which is the Rocky Steps and Grasslands. So, prepare to be taken into an immersive experience with me, Steph Wolf, as I learn with you about these amazing little guys. So, why don't we just get right into the show? So, I caught my facts from mentalfloss.com and wired.com. I used two different um, sources this time. Mentalfloss, I have used, I believe, some time. Uh, Ago, I have used Mental Floss a couple of times. Wired.com, I don't know if this is the first time that we're using this resource. Regardless, um, they were a part of today's episode. So if you want to learn more, you can always go to these websites. I also link them in the blog. I started a blog for the show where you can read just a a mini summary of All of the episodes, um, of course, starting at the stick bug, because that is when I opened up the blog. So if you want to see the blog, you can go to relaxwithanimalfacts.com and click on blog, and there, if you want to learn more, I include um, the sources and the links for you to go and explore on your own if you'd like. So, the first fact of the day is that the palace cats appear to be bigger and heavier than they actually are due to their stocky builds and long dense coats in reality they're about the size of domestic cats they will measure up to 26 inches in body length with a uh, with an 8 to 12 inch tail and weigh only around 10 pounds now their fur is very very deceiving. If you ha- if you see a picture of these guys, they are not um they don't look like they would be in similar size to domestic cats. They look fairly large and this is because they have this really really luxurious coat um around them which is amazing. Um it looks very Um, I suppose the word for it would be fancy or um, extravagant almost. And unlike other cats, the pupils of palace cats contract into small circles rather than those vertical slits that we're used to in many regular house cats and things like that. So their pupils follow sort of the shape and size of the human eyeball, I suppose, rather than that of other cats. Now I wonder why that is in particular. I know that cats are very adept at seeing at night time. I wonder if this affects their ability to see at night or, you know, what exactly is the either adaptation or why specifically this trait was selected for in these certain kinds of wild cats? So that is always an interesting thing to try to speculate as to why they have different, um, different shape of pupils rather than you know the majority of other cats. So very very cool. They live throughout Central Asia from western Iran to western China. Now, within this range, palace cats prefer the cold and arid environments of rocky steppes and grasslands at elevations up to 15,000 feet. Now, for those of you that are maybe wearing headphones or earbuds, you could maybe hear the sounds of Sort of grasslands in the background, Um, rocky steps. I'm not exactly sure where I can find, sort of, there's not many noises that I can attribute to rocky steps for a more immersive experience. So we're going to stick to maybe more of the grassland uh, kind of, um, I suppose, sounds. I love the sounds of grasslands and forests, anyways. um, But they do indeed live among. They love rocks, they love boulders, things like that, and they also love grasslands at the same time. And these are animals that live at very high elevations, which is most likely why none of us, uh, well, not none of us, but the majority of us probably haven't encountered these palace cats. And talking about their coat, so they have the longest and densest fur of any cat they take number one that is amazing their fur is nearly twice as long on their belly and tail as on their top sides so if you can imagine these guys can keep warm and they need to keep warm because as we just covered they are in cold and arid environments here so they need thick fur I didn't know they needed the densest fur of any cat, but it seems as though they do, and presumably this helps the cats keep warm as they hunt on either snow or even frozen ground, and the length and density of their fur also changes depending on the season something we have um, something you see very commonly in many animals so their fur will change seasonally growing longer and heavier in the winter and I suppose that later um, after winter is over and it's back to maybe more modest or moderate temperatures that they would shed some of this dense fur off now They go through two major color phases. What that means is that in the winter, their coats are going to be grayer and more uniform in color, while in the summertime, they're going to have more stripes and ochre colors in their fur. Ochre, O-C-H-R-E, if you're wondering what those are. They have black rings on their tails, scattered black spots on their foreheads, dark stripes running from their eyes down their cheeks, if you want to try to imagine what they look like before you sort of Google them and find it out for yourself. So whenever you guys are done um, listening to the show or at just another time, I really, really encourage you to Google image search. The palace cat because it is just such a treat when i was sent a picture by the fan cat who wrote in which this episode is dedicated to looking at this cat it was it was quite a sight something i can say is very uncommon looking sort of weird looking almost just because as a cat you don't expect it to look this way um but nonetheless, they are beautiful creatures. Now, the frosted and silvery appearance of their coats is not due to the fact that their entire coat is, you know, silver and white. Rather, it is due to the white tips that they have on their hairs. So their hairs do have this white tip that attributes this sort of silvery, very, very, um, Uh, frosted appearance that they have now these animals prefer to be left alone so they are solitary and very very territorial both males and females scent marking territories of about two to three miles now scent marking is something that is used that we, we have covered on the podcast already Many animals use scent or they use other sorts of markers to determine, hey, this is my area, this is my territory, you know, don't come in here. Whether it be a group of animals such as that of, um, for example, I always got to use primates, don't I? For example, gorillas, right? They aren't solitary, but they are very, very territorial. And they will use a different means of of you know tactics to 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 say hey this is this is my territory don't come any closer but in the case of the palace cats scent marking is sort of the way to go now that doesn't mean that it will the scent marking will always be respected of course in the animal kingdom there is competition there are different factors at play so it will not always be Um, respected and possibly leading to conflict among the species. Now, palace cats spend their days in caves, crevices, and burrows made by other animals, which uh, they will emerge from towards uh, dusk time to hunt. So burrows made by other animals um, are a fantastic way of reaping the rewards of another's hard work so um, animals that make these burrows and then perhaps you know um, for whatever reason aren't in the habitat anymore aren't in the area why not reuse it and the palace cats will definitely take advantage instead of using their luxurious coats and getting them all um dirty doing the work themselves, I suppose. They would rather just go in the burrow that is made by another animal, something that not only saves them some trouble, but will save them, of course, energy. Um, You know, digging a burrow can be a fairly taxing process. And, you know, um, many of us that live in these sort of civil societies where we have grocery stores and things like that, um, conserving our energy. Isn't something that we have to normally do very often. Um, we have to remember that in the wild, um, energy is really, really important. Um, you know, caloric intake—like if they're uh, how much they eat and how much energy they spend. Um, energy expenditure can be a huge driving factor in hunting and things like that because it can determine is this hunt worth it? Am I spending too much energy going for this animal? You know, maybe I can get an easier catch. So these animals instinctively know, you know, what is the best way or, um, ways I can conserve my energy, um, which is, um, very cool from the outside looking in. And they have an extremely short mating season, not to be confused with the words gestation period, right? So, um, the uh, mating season and gestation period are two different things. Just, just making that clarification, gestation periods, meaning how long the animals uh, or the females of the species are, uh, carry their young before giving birth and mating season, just meaning the span of time in which males and females get together, um, to do what you know they do naturally i suppose female palace cats are in that uh, are in estrus for only 26 to 42 hours a shorter period than most cats and estrus just meaning a period of time in which they are i suppose most fertile and ready to um bear kittens right um and mating occurs in february and March, so still fairly cold times, and females will give birth to a litter of two to six kittens in April or May. So here we see a gestation period of about one to two months. So actually a little bit less than I would have imagined, um, just because they look a lot bigger than they actually are. But never judge a book. By its cover, by four months old, the kittens will begin hunting with their mother, and they will reach adult size by only six months. And they are ready to breed. um, They are are ready to breed at about ten to eleven months old. So they grow fairly, fairly quickly here, Um, and they sort of uh, go on with their uh, lives. Um, very quickly, as opposed to many other animals that we have covered on this show, particularly um animals of a larger size and animals such as the uh such as the the different primate species that we've covered right in which um rearing you know um rearing your offspring takes a much longer time teaching them the skills that they need, all these sorts of things as opposed to animals that are able to instinctively um and very quickly grasp on to you know what they have to do to survive so um and in the case of the palace cat they are no exception to this rule now i am going to take a quick drink of my uh of my morning sort of uh decaf coffee here i'm a decaf coffee drinker um i prefer not to have coffee in my day that is why Um, I love the taste of coffee, but I would much rather have a decaf coffee with a little bit of milk in there, um, which I really enjoy. So I'm going to take a quick drink of my coffee here for any of you that are, you know, not asleep and and not um, uh, cuddled up in bed already. You can take a drink with me here. You know, hydration, very important. Anyways enough with hydration. Let's move on to the next fact. They are poor runners, so they do not run very, very well. The palace cats' compact body makes it quite a poor runner. We can really um, take it in sharp contrast to the cheetah, another cat, a fairly larger cat, but completely different anatomical sort of basis and foundation that they have in terms of hind legs, forelegs, the palace cat's entire anatomical structure of a compact body makes it not such a good runner. That is why it would rather seek refuge um, in small crevices, um, on boulders, things like that when they are chased because They don't have such a good chance if they're just running on an open field, you know, um, out there. So they would much rather um, chill on boulders or even seek the refuge of small crevices, holes, things like that, you know, burrows in which they can just simply hide away from predators rather than having to, um, you know, engage in the chase, right? And later on, the cat's scientific name was changed from uh, Felis Manuel to, oh, here we go again, Otakolobus manul. So instead of Felis, Otakolobus. It is not uh, taco, Otakolobus. There we go, manul, And it is not exactly the, f- the most flattering moniker because the word, that I keep repeating, because I'm trying to get it really right here. Autokalobus, maybe that's easier, right? Autokalobus. It is Greek for ugly-eared. Now, that isn't so nice, considering that they, I think that these guys are fairly adorable, but love them or hate them, they have very interesting ears. Very different than the, the traditional domestic house cats. Now, I don't have a house cat myself, But I have, you know, seen them before, of course. Um, You know, in Western society, it's fairly common to see domestic house cats. um, And their ears are certainly different. Um, You know, when comparing the palace cats to normal domestic cats, they have um, really, really interesting ears. Which is why I um, encourage all of you to go and check them out on Google Images whenever you have the time. Now, in 2002, the International Union for Conservation of Nature classified the palace cats as um, near-threatened, which is not so good for them. Um, That status does uh, remain today. Of course, this is not as bad as being, you know, endangered, critically endangered, but near-threatened means that they are kind of close to that, um, you know, to that uh, sort of grim um, outcome, and many factors contribute to their low numbers, which will include things such as agricultural activities, farming, mining, um, poisoning campaigns, which are aimed at reducing not the palace cats, but its food, which is the pika and marmo populations, just because um, the palace cats um, are almost entirely engaged in eating pica, which are sort of these smaller creatures, right? And when you have these campaigns to try to reduce the number of pica, this really will in turn, of course, affect a lot of other species, just because of the way night nature and naturally has a way of striking a balance. And of course, messing with that balance has its um, pros and, and, and cons, I suppose, for certain industries um, or for the habitat uh, that they are involved in. Now, they are often also, unfortunately, killed in traps that are meant for wolves and foxes, or by even domestic dogs. So, of course, this will happen for those people that are attempting to hunt wolves and foxes where they will accidentally catch something else. So this is hard to be avoided uh, for the most part. Um, and by domestic dogs, of course, sometimes dogs, you know, um, certain dogs are curious and maybe, um, you know, uh, whether they actually go after these guys uh, on purpose or on accident. I mean, in terms of actually harming them, of course, um, that is on a case-by-case basis, I suppose. Um, despite international trading bans and legal protections in some countries, they are often hunted for their fur, something I i was questioning at the beginning of the show, thinking, if they do indeed have some of the densest fur of any cat. I imagine they would be a really, really, um, you know, poachers would have their eye on them, unfortunately. So the cat's fat and organs are also used to make traditional medicines. Now, whether or not these medicines are backed by actual science and medicine, that is something I don't know Um, But it is not too uncommon for certain areas and cultures in which some of these animals exist in, in which they will be harvested for different things, um, either being confirmed or being believed to have some kind of remedying effect for different ailments or things like that. So it is not too uncommon. Um, scientists do not have enough data to estimate the palaces uh, the palace cat's population size, but due to their scarcity and many threats that they are facing, experts do believe that their numbers have dropped by about ten to fifteen per cent over the past decade or so, which unfortunately is not too surprising. And to better understand and protect this amazing animal, um, an international team of conservationists recently secured a 12-mile swath of land in this nature park, which I am going to have to pronounce the name of, Seljujemski. That wasn't so bad. And it lies in the Altai Mountains between Kazakhstan and Mongolia as a specific sanctuary for this rare cat. So props to these conservationists for giving uh, these animals a sort of sanctuary. Um, There they hope to monitor the population, study its habitat, and build a database of information detailing different encounters with this wonderful animal. It's always very nice to see conservationists do good work in this way um, in which they protect a certain species In you know, give them space to roam around, give them space, you know, uh, a regular habitat uh, that they can, you know, do what palace cats do best, which I suppose is hunt and hide in rocks and things like that. Now, Why is the palace cat called the palace cat? It is actually named after the German naturalist Peter Pallas, who first described the furry wildcat in 1776. He named this little kitty Felis Manuel, which we learned was uh, changed later, Um, and he theorized that it was an ancestor of the Persian cat, He thought this specifically due to its round face, luxurious coat, and um, very stocky body. He was, unfortunately, um, wrong. It is not an ancestor of the Persian cat, regardless a good sort of theory that he had and things that... um, It is really interesting to see the classification process over time. You know, when animals are first discovered, they could go through a series of classifications and taxonomic sort of um, deals to figure out what exactly is this animal. So, of course, um, in this case, it is not an ancestor of the Persian cat. Um, But shout out to Peter Pallas, the German naturalist, who first described this furry wildcat to begin with. So that is the final um, fact of the episode for the palace cats. Now, thank you all so very much for listening. This was an absolutely wonderful podcast. I very, very much enjoyed learning about the uh, palace cat. And if you want to have your animal on the show, you can go ahead and... Um, email relaxwithanimalfacts at gmail.com or alternatively, send a message on Instagram to relaxwithanimalfacts. I reply to each and every one of you who write into the show. So thank you to all of you who listened to this podcast and enjoyed it. I hope to see you on the next podcast episode with the next animal. Now, are you itching for a good story laughter among friends, maybe even a mystery. Fire Breathing Kittens is a standalone Dungeons & Dragons podcast. Each episode is a separate three-hour-long story like a movie for your ears. You can listen to these adventures in any order. Join us on a standalone real-play Dungeons & Dragons quest as we solve mysteries, attempt comedic banter, and enjoy friendship. Fire Breathing Kittens podcast, fantasy, action, mystery, and friendship. So for those of you that are really into Dungeons and Dragons, this is a wonderful podcast that I can recommend you guys um, listen to. So thank you all so very much for listening, and I will see you on the next podcast episode with the next animal. Take care.